our great high priest. Praise God. And, um, you know, God spoke to Moses. And he said, I, there's, there's things that go on in heaven. And I can't bring those down right now to the earth because of where people are at. There were people that God got a hold of that really yielded themselves to God, really sought after God, and had a, a very strong experience with God. And God would reveal himself to them. And they're kind of mystery people that just kind of pop up and, and then disappear. You know, like Enoch. You know, we don't know a lot about Enoch. All we know is that Enoch walked with God, and he pleased God, and he pleased God so much that God took him. He didn't die a natural death. He just disappeared. Have you seen Enoch today? No, he went out for a walk, and then that was it. I, he never came back. I heard a little story. Somebody was trying to explain to their kid about what happened to Enoch. And he said, one day Enoch and God went for a walk. And they walked and they walked and they walked. And they walked so far and they walked so long. And then it was coming to the end of the day. And Enoch says, I got to go home. And God says, no, you're closer to my house. Why don't you come on over to my place? And that was it. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. But God does that throughout the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, he, was, he would come to people and, and visit them, and people had experiences with them. We, we, we read about Job. Who is Job? You know, but he had a, a real belief in God. He didn't have a church. He didn't have, there wasn't a, a supporting cast around him, but he had an encounter with God, a walk with God, a couple things were a little off, but that's kind of part of our human nature. <laughs> but then, you know, God does these things. But God was saying, you know what, there comes a time now where I need to kind of, where I need to bring it in to a nation. I need to have a people. I need to prepare people for what is yet to come. I need to begin to set something up to where I can get people's minds, people's hearts, people's understandings prepared for what is yet to come. And so here he is, he has this man named Abraham, has an encounter with God, and God begins to speak to him. He calls him out of his country, and he says, come on, it's time for you to leave all of this and follow after me. And God chooses to, to do a work in him, and to begin to preserve a nation. And within that preservation, it works its way all the way down to a man named Moses. And God, again, here's Moses. He's out there just minding the sheep. And a bush starts burning. And he thinks that's kind of interesting. So he goes up to this bush. And it's burning. And it's not burning out. It's just burning. Like, you know, usually a, uh, something that's dried up will burn up and then it'll burn out. But this was not burning out. 
And he goes up to it and it starts talking to him. <laughs> but the voice that comes out of it is not, <laughs> is not that. <laughs> a voice that shakes his whole being. A voice that says, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And he understood in his spirit that the God, the creator of heaven and earth, was speaking to him. And God spoke to him and showed him a lot of things and called him. And, of course, we know the story of how he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And things were going good. They finally got out of there. They had a few, you know, a few hiccups here and there. But they got out of there. And God took Moses up onto the top of a mountain for 40 days. And up there in 40 days... God began to unveil a lot of things to him. That's where we get, how do we know about the book of Genesis? God opened that up to him. Showed him things. How it all happened. And then God began to reveal to him that in heaven there's a pattern of, of, of the temple and the tabernacle of God. And things operate a certain way up in heaven. And what I want you to do, Moses, is I want you to take the pattern of that and bring it down here to the earth. And I want you to set up a tabernacle. And there's certain things that I want you to do in this tabernacle. There's certain offerings and sacrifices and feasts and things that, that you need to have the people do because this is a, a type and a shadow of what's going on in heaven. Isn't that interesting? That it wasn't just something that was made up out of the clear blue, but God said, this is what we're doing up here. Now I want you to try to at least create some type of resemblance. You can't quite do it the way we do it up here. There's some issues, there's some problems between you down here and you know making it happen, but... If you do it down here according to the pattern, eventually when you come up here, you'll go, oh, that's what that means. I think a lot of us are going to, when we get to heaven, we're going to be like walking and all of a sudden, oh, that's what that means. Oh, I've read about that. And we'll see it clearly. Like Paul said, though we know in part, though we see in part, though we look through this glass kind of darkly, but yet someday we shall know him fully as we're fully known. Whew. Waiting for that day. <laughs> what a great day. So God begins to show things to Moses, and one of those things he begins to show Moses is a priesthood. How he wants a priesthood to operate. And so Moses begins to write this down and begins to put it together. And he points out in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, talks about Jesus, and he says that, well, let's turn there, Hebrews 4, 14. It says, seeing that we have a Great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. So Jesus 
is this high priest. Now, down here on the earth, they had high priest and they had priest. And so the way God set it up with the tribes of Israel is he called the sons of Levi, the tribe of Levi. And he said, listen, the tribe of Levi, here's the deal. You're not going to go out and inherit land. Your inheritance is everybody's. And the reason why is your responsibility isn't going to go out to farm a land, to plow a field, to do all these kinds of things. Your responsibility is to serve in the tabernacle as ministers. And you know, when you get into the tabernacle, I mean, there was a lot of work, a lot of constructing things, a lot of, a lot of blood, <laughs> a lot of cleanup, a lot of burning, a lot of cleanup, a lot of wood needed, a lot of, you know, it was just a constant every day, every day. And then he said, now, to the tribe of Levi, he said, now, specifically, out of the tribe of Levi, there was Aaron, Moses' brother. And he said, out of your lineage, your sons will be the priests. So you have the Levites, but then, within the tribe of Levi, you have Aaron and his sons. And Aaron and his sons were the priests. And then out of those priests, you would pick one. And one of those priests would become the high priest. So the, the, the Levites were serving in the temple, setting things up, tearing things down, helping and assisting, but they never offered sacrifices on the altar. They never did the burnt offerings. They never did the other kinds of offerings that took place. Only the priests. And the priests could go into this room in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was divided up into three areas. You had the outside area, which was the outer court. You had the inside area, which is called, there was two inside chambers. One of them was somewhat bigger, and it was the holy place. And that's where a lot of the offerings were, were conducted. And then there was this secret room. And in this secret room, the Ark of the Covenant was placed. And nobody could go in that room. Only one person could go into that room. And that one person was the high priest. And they could only go in that room once a year. And when they went in that room, they had to make sure that they were living right and they were following every jot and tittle of the law. Not all of them did it. And so we have a dilemma because some would go in and they drop dead. Now who's going to go in there and get them? Mike. <laughs> well, they got, they, got, they got a little smart here. They got a little smart. They tie a rope around them. So if they heard a thud, all right, pull the rope. We need a new high priest. 
<laughs> a lot of job openings there. <laughs> now, what's interesting about the priest is that they had to wear a certain garment. And this garment was a very interesting garment. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 8 and in Exodus chapter 28. It talks about the garment and it talks about their ordination. But this garment was very interesting because first they had the undergarment, the briefs, if you would, if you would so call it, and it was made out of a pure white linen. Then they wore kind of like a robe that it was also made out of pure white linen. No stains, one solid piece, and that was a representation of righteousness. The priest himself was a sinner, but he had to have something to cover him to make him righteous when he came into the presence of God. So he had to wear this white linen, had to wear it underneath, and he had to wear it over. And then there was... A, uh, an ephod and there was a sash and there was other garments wrapped around him. And the color of those, and gold, a lot of gold. And a lot of those colors that he wore, or all the colors that he wore, were the exact same colors that were used inside the Holy of Holies. So even though people couldn't go into the Holy of Holies and see it, at least when the priest came out with his garment on, people could see the glory and the beauty of what was inside the Holy of Holies. And then on this particular garment, he had an ephod, and it was like a breastplate. And on this breastplate, there was 12 precious stones sewed right in to the ephod. And on each one of those stones was written a name of the tribe of Israel. And so he had all 12 tribes of Israel on his heart, on his breastplate. And those were connected to a chain, and the chain went to like a shoulder piece. And it was on the shoulder piece, on this side was six tribes of Israel, and on this side was six tribes of Israel. So not only was he carrying the tribes of Israel upon his heart, but he was also carrying the burden of it on his shoulders. And how precious that is. Because Jesus carries your name. You are a precious stone to him. And he carries your name upon his heart. And he goes before the Father into the Holy of Holies as a mediator. And he represents you before the Father. And then he wore this tunic, and this tunic had a gold plate on it, and it said, Holy is the Lord. And God told Aaron, he says, when you wear this tunic and you come into my presence, that tunic will be, on that tunic will be placed the guilt of all the sin. So all the guilt of all the sin was being placed upon that tunic. And he had to wear that when he came in there to give the sacrifice to God. So it's a pretty, it, it, it's, 
And as, you, as I'm saying this, I know your, your wheels are spinning and you're saying, oh, Jesus does this. And, and that's why Jesus does that. And that's why we get the gift of righteousness. And, and that's the white linen that we have to wear because we can't come into his presence without it. But when he gives us that robe of righteousness, now we can come into his presence and live. Oh, the, the, the garment was beautiful. It had bells on it. It had pomegranates on it. And... Uh, you know, that, that when they were walking, they could hear that bells or was that jingling sound coming into the presence of God. It was a glorious thing. But the problem with that priesthood is that it was, the order of that priesthood was based upon the law. It was ordered or instituted through fallen men. So it had some flaws because it couldn't quite do what God wanted done. Turn with me. Now we're going to take just a little, a little detour here on some interesting thoughts. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus said to him, or answered to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So then John allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 29 through 31. John 1, 29 through 31. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one that I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Now this is an interesting situation here because when a priest was going to be ordained, there were several things, and again you'll see this in Leviticus 8, when a priest was going to be ordained into the priesthood, the first thing that had to be done is that ordination had to be done out in the public. It was not something that was done in a back room or only with a select few people. It was done in front of everybody. Here John the Baptist is baptizing by the River Jordan out in the public. All these people are there. People repenting. Pharisees, Sadducees coming as well. A multitude of people. And here comes Jesus. The second thing they had to do for the priest is they had to wash him with water. 
In the tabernacle, there was a bronze laver, a bowl, a huge bowl full of water. They, they might have used that or they might have had a different bowl. But they, what they did is right out in front of everybody is they washed the priest with water. Then after they washed him with water, they took oil. And they anointed him with oil. On that day, when Jesus got baptized, he was being ordained as the high priest. And after he got washed with water, the Father anointed him with oil. And on that day, he went from Jesus to Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Then, after they anointed him with oil, they had to, they applied blood to the priest. It's kind of interesting. They had to apply some blood to the right earlobe, to the right thumb, and to the right big toe. Right? But think about it. Take, Jesus said, take heed what you hear. For it's not what comes out of a man that makes him evil. It's what goes in. So that had to be covered in the blood. The hand, what you touch, what you labor, what you do. Your feet, where you walk, where you go. Had to be covered, touched with the blood. And then they made a feast. They took a ram and they sacrificed it. And they had a, a priestly recipe, if you will, and they cooked it all up. And then they presented this offering before the Lord. And the Bible says that the offering pleased the Lord. It was pleasant to him. So as that burned up, there was a pleasing in the heart of God. And so here comes the new high priest he gets washed in water. He gets anointed with oil. The blood is coming. It's not there today because it's not ready yet. But then, because of who he is. You see, Jesus said this. He said that the Father really... I know this is going to burst your bubble, you Pharisees. You, high, you priests. But the Lord is not really interested in burnt offerings. He's not really interested in sacrifices. Because you can do that, and you can just do a one-time deal, a one-time shot, go to church once on Sunday, and then you can live like the devil the rest of the week. I'm really not excited about that. But what I really like is a willingness, a willing heart a willing body, a willing soul. That's what pleases me. And that's the sacrifice that Jesus was bringing. Right then and there, he was offering that willing body, that willing sacrifice, and that aroma was going up to God, and God couldn't contain himself, and he got up and he said, that's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what I want. Move the heart of God. When you offer yourself willingly to God, 
to serve him, to worship him, to love him. Oh, that moves the heart of God. That just moves his heart. He just like, oh, that, that's what I want. See, God has everything. He owns the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has everything he wants, but the only thing that he's, he's contending for, the thing that he's going after, the thing that he longs for, the thing that he desires, is he wants the willingness of his people whom he made to come to him willingly, to worship him, to serve him, to obey him. And so whenever you feel that, stubbornness, which we all do from time to time, whenever you feel that resistance, that unwillingness, just stop. Just stop. And just say, Father, I know I'm acting kind of stubborn right now. I know I'm being a little thick-headed, <laughs> however you want to say it. But just say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, have your way. I remember as a young Christian, we, went over, we had some friends of the family, and there was a, there was a, a girl in, the, in that family that, you know, we were friends growing up, but now, you know, I'm a teenager, she's a teenager, so things are kind of changing a little bit. So I'm looking forward to going over there to kind of hang out with her, right? But she's got a little sister, so me and my sister are going over to visit her and her sister because they're friends of the family. And I'm getting all excited because, you know, maybe I can, you know, spark up a little extra conversation. Maybe we can kind of go in a new path, you know. So I'm getting, you know, a little bit excited about that. And so we get there, and the Lord says to me, I want you to play Monopoly with the younger one. I'm like, oh, that's not my plan, Lord. <laughs> that's not my plan but I stopped and I said a prayer and, I, and I'll never forget it and I said Lord you know I don't want to do this but I'll do it but just please make me willing to do it and all of a sudden I had a desire to go do that so I went ahead Played Monopoly with the little one. Meanwhile, my older sister was hanging out with the girl that I wanted to hang out with, and she was able to share the gospel with her without interruption. So God had a different plan. So we have to, God is looking for that willingness in our heart, and that's really the key thing in our offerings and in our sacrifices unto him. So here we see what's going on on the day when John the Baptist is baptizing. Jesus comes. He's actually getting ordained. Now what's interesting about his ordination is that when you think about when a priest is being ordained, a priest can only be ordained by another priest. But who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist's father was Zechariah, who was a priest who actually was in the holy place when the angel of the Lord came to him and told him he's going to have a son named John. So he was right in the middle of his priestly duty, and here God told him, you are going to have a son, and his name is John. And he had a little doubt about that, so God said, all right, I'll give you a sign, I'll shut your mouth up, you can't speak until the child is born. 
God did him a favor. Sometimes we, we, Lord, shut my mouth up. This is too big. I don't know if I can wrap my head around this. Just shut my mouth up until I get some faith and know exactly it's you so I don't say anything contrary. So that's what God did. And he had a son, John. And God raised him up to be a prophet, but he was of the lineage of Aaron's descendants. He was a priest. And here he is operating as a prophet, but standing with the call and the lineage of a priest. And here comes Jesus. And that's why Jesus said to him, you know, John didn't want to baptize him. He's like, you baptize me. You're the greater one. You haven't sinned. But Jesus says, no, you have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so he baptized him. And nobody knew what was going on except Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and probably some angels. Everybody else is just like, well, I don't know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? I don't know what's going on. But it was at that moment that Jesus was anointed as the high priest. And what is interesting about this is that God did something very unique in the Bible about the priesthood. Because he knew that there was a flaw in the priesthood, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. He knew that there was a flaw in the priesthood. Excuse me, Hebrews 5, verse 1. And it says, For every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. And he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself also is subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes his honor upon himself, but they have to be called. But in verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Or... The actual proper way of saying is Melchizedek. But I'm so used to calling him Melchizedek that it's hard to change in my mind. So now God interjects a mystery man. How many have ever heard of Melchizedek? Very interesting guy. Genesis chapter 14, there's a story... A situation where Moses and his son and his nephew Lot, they were all together and they got too big and their herdsmen were having a hard time and there was strife and, and there wasn't enough room and so forth. So Abraham said to Lot, we need to part ways so we can keep peace in our family. And so he said to Lot, which, you know, you can either go this way or you can go that way. He gave him the first choice. Lot looked, he looked towards Sodom, and he saw beautiful plain fields, and he said, I'll go that way. So he goes to Sodom. So now he's living in the territory of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, he, while he's living there, 
things are going on, life is good, Abraham's doing his thing, he's got his, his group, his, he's got over 318 uh, uh, servants and then their wives and children, so he's got quite a big thing going on right now. And while everything is peaceful and going good, there were these five kings that came in and they attacked Sodom and Gomorrah and two other kings. And they came in and they overpowered them. And they, when they overpowered them, then they took their people. And they took their possessions. And they were bringing it back to their kingdom. But one of the servants of Lot got away. And he ran over to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, you got to help. These kings came in. They took us over. They got your nephew. They got your family. And right away, Abraham said, all right. He got his 318 trained men together. He got a few allies together. And he said, let's go out and get these guys. So they went out. They went after them. They caught up to them. They beat the daylights out of them. They went off running, and they got all that spoil back. So now they're marching back home, feeling pretty good about themselves. And out of nowhere comes this king of Salem. His name is Melchizedek, or Melchizedek. And he's coming to him. Now, what's kind of interesting, we don't know if he was alone or not. It doesn't say, you know, usually kings don't travel alone. They usually have an entourage. But they don't say anything about that. He just, they just say he comes out. And he's carrying something kind of unusual with him. You'll read this in Genesis 14. He's carrying bread and wine. And he meets up with Abraham. And they begin to have a conversation. They begin to have some fellowship. They're, they're talking about things. They're, he's sharing some things. And he must have been sharing some things and saying some things to him that really made Abraham discern and understand that this was some special type of man that had a real connection with God. Because Abraham was very trained, very skilled, very discreet. He was not somebody who was just going to give anything to anybody. But he recognized and discerned that this man, this, this Melchizedek, who was not only a king, but he was a priest of the Most High God. And the unusual thing about this guy is that he had no genealogy. Like nobody knew who was his mother, who was his father. They didn't know where he came from. And there's no record of his death. He might have been one of these guys who took a walk with God and got closer to God's house than his house. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows where he went. But he was a priest unto God. And he was a priest unto God not because he was a Levite, not because he was a son of Aaron, but because God made an oath. When God makes an oath, nothing, nothing can change that. Nothing can alter that. 
Nothing will get in the way of that. That is perpetual. That is eternal. The Bible says that Melchizedek is a priest unto God forever. When you die and go to heaven and you're walking around and meeting people, someday you're going to meet Melchizedek. And you're going to say, I, I read about you. Because he's in heaven right now doing priestly duties. But he was a king, and his name Melhez, or Mehi, means king, and his last name Zedek means righteousness. So he was a king of righteousness, and he was a king over a city called Salem, and Salem means peace, so he was a king of peace. So God did something here very unique. He created and set up this individual, this life, so he could have a prototype, so that he could have a protege, if you will, of something to come. Because Jesus, in order for him to be a priest, he had to have some type of an order to follow. To become a priest. And he couldn't, he wasn't a Levi, he was of the tribe of Judah, so that wasn't going to work. So somehow God had to make a way for him to be a high priest. And he did it through Melchizedek. And this Melchizedek, what's interesting with him is that when he had this conversation with Abraham, then they made a covenant together. And in this time of covenant, Abraham pronounced a blessing over, or not Abraham, Melchizedek, pronounced a blessing over Abraham, and that blessing perpetuated throughout his life. And in Abraham's response to Melchizedek, he gave a tenth. That's the first record we have in the Bible when a tithe was given. And he gave a tenth of what he owned or the spoils that he acquired through this battle, he gave that to Melchizedek. And so we see this encounter, and then what's interesting is that's the very end of Genesis 14, and then when you go into Genesis 15, you see that Abraham has a great encounter with God. Like, Whatever happened with this blessing, whatever happened in this covenant, whatever was spoken to him, it stirred some more things in Abraham to where he began to seek the Lord more. He began to say, Lord, how can I be great? I don't have any descendants. I don't have any children. I could certainly take my, my, my top uh, servant, Eliezer, who's been faithful to me, and I can adopt him as my son and, and, and make him my heir. And God said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring a son through your loins it's going to come through your body and God revealed himself to Abraham in a mighty way and he said I am your exceeding great reward and I will protect you and all of that I believe was a result of a covenant of an impartation that he received from a high priest unto God through Melchizedek and lo and behold 
that promise that came to him was the development of the nation, the tribe of Israel, which is where Jesus came from. So Jesus is a part of that promise. He's a part of that covenant. He's a part of that blessing. He's a part of that oath. So he could step in and be a high priest unto God, not because he was underneath a lineage of Aaron or a tribe of Levite or under a law covenant that would not do us any good, that would not sanctify, that would not set us free. But he could come in under a priest of an oath, of a life that lives forever. A life that never dies. A life that never ceases. And so that's how he was able to step into that place. But now here he is as our high priest. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in the realm of the spirit for that. But the thing about it is now Jesus steps in. He's that high priest. And he wears those garments of the high priest. And not only is he the high priest, but he's the sacrifice. He's offering himself. All the other priests, when they were ordained, they had to get the blood put on them first, on the right ear, the right thumb, the right toe. They had to get that first. Then they could get the oil. But the high priest, he got the oil first. And the blood came later. But now the Bible says, and you'll read all this in Hebrews Hebrews 8, Hebrews uh, 5 through 8, or 5 through 9, and then a little bit in 12. And you read about all this here. And the significance of all this is that because his ordination, his priesthood, was not under the old covenant, but it came with a new covenant. And in this new covenant, he said, I am going to do something that's different than the old covenant. The old covenant said, I'm giving you laws, I'm giving you instructions, I'm giving you things to obey. But in the new covenant, he says, I'm not going to give you these things on paper. I'm not going to give these things as ordinations that you do hourly. But I'm going to actually come inside of you. And I'm going to write these things in your heart and in your mind. I'm going to actually come on the inside of you and change the very nature of who you are. Sometimes, you know, we struggle with sin. We're like, why can't I, you know, like in Romans 7, Paul says, you know, the things that I would, I... The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I should do, I don't do. And he's kind of going over this dilemma. And who shall, who, who, who shall save me from this vile body? And then he says, but thanks be to God. Because he gave us Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory. Why? Because in this new covenant, your high priest came along and he didn't say do this and do that and obey this and obey that. But he came in and he imprinted himself right upon your heart, right upon your mind. He wrote the very nature of who he is on the inside of you. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You say, well, you know, I don't feel like I've got all that in me. Yeah, that's, do something about that. You can do something about that. 
that's this morning as we were worshiping the Lord and that last song about pouring out. I could just see the connection there. That anointing is, when that anointing comes upon you, what is it doing? It's going deep inside and it's grabbing those things and it's pulling it out. It's saying that weakness that you have in your life, you have strength to overcome that. I'm going to grab that. I'm going to pull that out. I'm going to bring out that strength. I'm going to bring out that ability so you can walk in righteousness because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've made you righteous. I've made you righteous. You know, when you sin, first thing the devil's going to do is come along and try to condemn you. Ah, uh, you blew it again, Richard. Are you ever going to get it right? Okay, good. And what is he doing? He's, painted, he's painting a picture of you as a failure, you as somebody who can't do it, you as somebody who can't make it, you as somebody who doesn't have the, the strength or the ability, like, oh, I can't, I can't be like the pastor, I can't be like that minister, I can't be like that, that saint over there or that saint over here. You know, I'm just struggling, it's just, you know, me, I was born, I, you know, whatever. He tries to paint that picture to lock you in. To a defeat. To lock you into a failure. To lock you into a weakness. The hardest thing about overcoming something in your life is first getting a mental image of yourself living your life without ever, ever, ever doing that again. Whatever it is that you struggle with, go into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse and purge, as it says in Hebrew, purge your conscience from dead works that you can serve the living God and let it cleanse you so much so that you can see yourself never, ever living that way again. That's how powerful the work the high priest did for us. Right now, Jesus is in heaven even though he's on the right hand of the Father, he is operating as the high priest right now. And every day, every night, he ever lives to make intercession for you to do the will of God. The other item that the priest wore, there was this, I don't know what it was. It's a real mystery because nobody ever found, found them. But they called them the Urim and the, and the Purim. And they were... They were, I think they were kind of maybe like a dice of some sort, or and in, in when you wanted to know the will of God, you kind of rolled it, and if it landed one way, it's, it's like a yes or a no type thing. And it was like, how do you know the will of God? And, though, and so God gave them this to help them, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit, they couldn't be led of the Spirit. But the priest would carry these items in his ephod, and so in that, he was not only carrying you precious to his heart, but he was carrying the will and the direction of God for your life. 
That's why the Holy Spirit, he searches the heart of the Father. He searches your heart. He knows what's been written on the inside of you. He knows everything that God has planted in your heart, placed in your life, purposed in you from the day you were born. He looks at that. He looks at the heart of God and he says, okay, now it's time for me to do this. Now it's time for me to work that. And he does it all through the priestly ministry of our great high priest. Because the Bible says, because what Jesus did, you and I have boldness. Boldness. To go in to the Holy of Holies. Say, so, well, I don't feel like I, I deserve that. No, you don't deserve it. Jesus did it all. He paid that price. That's why he's looking for people to believe. Because faith enters in. You, feel, you know, people sit back and they think they're kind of holy. Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not any good. I'm not worthy. You know, I, I don't deserve this. And so they kind of withdraw. They kind of draw back. I'm not going to step into this. I'm not going to step into that. I'm not going to be bold. I'm not going to operate in the, this gift or this calling or whatever. And they kind of step back and they think that they're trying to be humble. But really what it is, it's unbelief. It's unbelief. Because Jesus, when he died, one of the significant things that happened was this veil that separated the holies from the holy of holies was about four feet thick, and nobody could go in there. And when he died and he said, it is finished, that veil violently ripped in half. Violently. And God was saying, the wall is broken down. The barrier is broken. Come, my children. Come boldly in here. Whatever you need, come. I, I became you so I could feel what you go through. I could understand your struggles. I can understand your temptations. I've been touched with the feeling of your infirmity. So I understand. But I also know the glory and the life of the Father. And he, his heart is for you. And he wants you to come in. He wants you to experience it. And so he kicks that door open and he says, come, come, come. So when you feel that I'm not worthy, I can't do this, don't draw back. Just say, nope. Jesus, you're my high priest. You kick that door open. I'm coming in. God, you know I don't deserve it. God, you know I'm not worthy of it, but you took care of that for me. But I'm not drawing back. I'm not giving in. I'm not quitting. I'm not throwing in the towel. Because you did it for me. I'm not going to stop believing for, for victory. I'm not going to stop believing for healing. I'm not going to stop believing for deliverance. Why? Because you did it for me. It's available. It's like this. God's got all the power. He can do whatever he wants to do. But there's one thing that God doesn't have automatically. There's one thing that God will not take automatically and that's your free will he gave you a free will you have the power to choose will I believe or will I not will I enter in or will I draw back and if you believe you'll enter in 
you'll grab a hold of it. You won't give in to the persuasion. See, God, uh, the devil tries to persuade people with feelings and emotions. I can't. I can't. It's too hard. I can't. But you got to stop. You got to see the doors wide open. Both doors back there wide open. We don't have we don't have those doors closed and ushers saying, "No, you can't come in today. You don't look right." <laughs> the doors are open. Come on in. That's what God's saying. So he says we're in a covenant that he has opened up so great for us so that we can draw near to God. You can draw near to God. Well, I messed up. Draw near to God. I don't feel like I can do any better. Draw near to God. Why would Jesus say to Peter, how many times? Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? You know, he's thinking maybe five, maybe ten. And the Lord says, if they come to you and repent, forgive them seven times 70. That's 490 times. How many of you have sinned 490 times in one day? <laughs> well, guess what? There's enough forgiveness for all of that. That's how big his heart is. And see, it's in, that, it's in that fellowship. It's in that drawing near. It's in that undeserved mercy. It's in that place of kindness. No matter how hard it is, Lord, I just don't feel worthy. I just, I keep messing up, whatever. It's in that struggle that if you just fall upon him. He says, if you fall upon me, your life will be strengthened. But it's in that place where you experience such love that it changes you. You don't want to do that anymore. It's not because somebody's beating you over the head. You just don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't have to do it. I don't want to do it. I just want to please God. I just want to follow the Lord in this area. I just want to obey God in this area because he's washed me. He's cleansed me with his blood. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, as our high priest, as you officiate in the temple of God, as you offer and represent. You're our mediator and you represent us to God and God to us and without you we could never come to the Father but we thank you Lord that with you we come to the Father and we experience the life, the love, the power of the Father. And so Lord we thank you that there is an open door for each one of us. <clears throat> We thank you, Lord, that with this we have such great hope. We thank you, Lord, that we have such great confidence. Lord, because we know that you are, you've got our back. You've got all the bases covered. You provided everything we need. And so we can just trust in you. That we can just completely, totally, with everything that we have and everything that we are and everything that we own, we can surrender it all to you and know that you have everything looked, out, looked after, everything taken care of, everything worked out. Because you're our great high priest. So we yield ourselves to you. 
Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus right now. Lord, that just covers each one. Lord, that just covers each one. The blood of Jesus that speaks right now. The blood of Jesus that speaks right now on the altar of God. It speaks our mercy. It speaks our forgiveness. It speaks our deliverance. It speaks for our healing. Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. Lord, that every heart here will just continue to receive, Lord, and know that the blood of Jesus covers us from from our head to our toe in all the areas of our life and that we are covered in your blood. We thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.